There is no set clock when inspiration will strike. And in my experience, following the trends doesn't necessarily lead to the result you want. Just go with what you feel and what you gravitate towards and that you feel passionate about. And I think hopefully other people resonate with that as well. A few years ago, my daughter Stella turned me on to what would become one of my all-time favorite songs. It's called My Type by a band called St. Motel. Those opening bars would play and my mood would instantly elevate anytime I listened to that song thereafter. And it's pretty much been on every good time playlist I've made since. It played in the background as my two best friends and I ran around Italy in 2019. And it was crucial in keeping me sane during lockdown. So imagine my delight when the lead singer of St. Motel, AJ Jackson, and his team reached out to me to get him onto my little show talking about his new project. And this time, AJ is stepping outside of the music business to focus on something completely different. I was stoked. It was like the universe had listened to my prancing and dancing and singing and decided, hey, you know what? These two humans should meet. And virtually meet, we did. But before we dig into the conversation, and I tried very hard not to fangirl while I asked him about creativity and entrepreneurship and songwriting, let me give you a little background on AJ. AJ Jackson and his band St. Motel have been on some pretty big stages. Think Coachella, Bottle Rocket for you NorCal peeps, Madison Square Garden, where they opened for Panic at the Disco, and about a bedrillion other venues. And as a singer myself, wink, wink, <laughs> on a much smaller scale... I had questions about that. I wanted to know about AJ's warm-ups and what it's like to get out there on those big stages. And I wanted to know about any weird pre-game rituals he had. But also, any of us who have to stand on any kind of stage, metaphorical or otherwise, we can always learn from people like AJ. So I was excited about that. And I also wanted to understand the thinking behind his new move to go beyond just music, to create something altogether new with his new company, AVU, which is, drumroll, an eyewear company that taps into the psychology of color therapy. AVU allows you to customize and swap out the lens color of your glasses, which can actually affect the way you feel. Need to feel focused? You pop in the yellow lenses. Need to calm down? Rock those rose-colored glasses. It's just a cool concept, and I've been loving the ones I got. And I'm fascinated by people who, during the pandemic, didn't just sit around and binge-watch stuff like I did. They actually made something. It's cool. So I am thrilled for you to listen in on this conversation, and I present to you the man, the myth, A.J. Jackson. I guess where I wanted to start with this is what is your belief about creativity? Like what routines have you created for yourself? I mean, I don't know about your schedule, but my schedule is hectic. I numb out with my devices. I watch stuff I shouldn't be wasting my time on. And here you are like of the generation that is far more digital than even mine. And yet you're making all this cool shit happen. So like, do you have certain rules or disciplines around focus time for creativity? I think part of it is my lack of focus, being ADD and just being excitable in general with new technologies. And the excitement is what drives it to think, okay, what's a way we could particularly like utilize this? Yeah. Part of me feels that the band's gotten to 
a level where we can do this as a career. And with that, I feel like it's kind of our responsibility to try and innovate wherever we can, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, this is a very kind of lucky place to be. So I want to make sure we we take advantage of being able to explore all possibilities. But yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think the lack of focus is why I probably do get involved in so many various creative endeavors. Focus has never been my strong point, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh my God, I feel that so deeply. I have all of these crazy tricks to try and get myself to focus, but you're right. I think for those of us that are multi-hyphenates, we have five different things that we do professionally. You're right. Maybe it is because of a lack of focus. You know, so much of creativity comes from just wide open thinking, just letting your mind bounce. And I worry, like I was traveling recently, which I hadn't done for 18 months. And I was like, so dazzled by the newness of being in the town that I was visiting. And I kept looking around and seeing everyone on their freaking phones. I'm like, we're ever going to make anything cool if we keep staring at these devices. So do you find that that takes away from your creativity or do you build it right in? Or how do you set your life up so that you can be open? You know, the phone is kind of a double-edged sword because in one respect, it's kind of a portal to a dimension of information and new ideas. And on the other, it's like, you can get distracted and you can go down the hole for a long time and lose a lot of time you could spend otherwise. So I I don't know. I think for me, you know, exactly like going to a new town is a good example. I get so enveloped. We did a show in Macedonia, a live stream, and I knew so little about the country and the people and, and all these Balkan nations. It was just fascinating. And then I went to Turkey afterwards and I just kind of engrossed myself with the history and the culture. And, you know, like even after I leave, just kind of doing as much like research and watching videos of the various peoples and the historical kind of context that gave it a special feeling. But yeah, I think you just have to have that sense of wonder. Yeah. And awe. you know, that sense of wonder and awe that I hope never leaves me, but travel is a great place to find it. That is so true. I love that. So actually that leads me to kind of the next question, which is as you're out doing all of these shows, I mean, you guys have played some pretty big stages. What are the biggest, maybe I won't say nerve wracking because it doesn't sound like you get all that racked in your nerves, but what are the biggest stages you've played and what are your tricks for staying in the moment and in the persona that you need to be in to be on stage? Well, I'll start with saying kind of the most nerve wracking moments are actually like the smallest crowds when someone asked me to like sing at their wedding or something and, you know, like a family moment or something like that. I'm like, Oh God. But no, I think the best way I found to really be in the moment is to get everything as far as knowing physically what to do out of the way. So, you know, get your rehearsal down and make sure you have a routine of warm ups, and the routine is there. So you don't have to think about it and the rehearsals there. So you don't have to think about it. And you plan out the show. I like to go very much in detail where I'm going to be on stage, where I'm going to, you know, be in the crowd, you know, what my costume change is going to be here. Cause I want it to be almost like a theatrical production. So when it's time to go, my mind can be free to be in the moment, but that's really the place you want to be where the mechanics of it is on autopilot. So you can take advantage of, you know, the moment. And I think that might be a misconception that people have about performers, whether they're artists or whether it's people giving a TED talk, which is what I help people do, Hmm. is people think that there are those otherworldly people that just go and wing it and do A plus performances. 
more often than not, those people are very rare. It's mostly the people that are so deeply like muscle memory has been established so that when they go live or go on stage, they can just get lost in the moment because their body knows what to do. Exactly. And I think, you know, as far as being a musician, there's so many kind of disciplines. You want that on wonder and you want the rigid rehearsal to be able to be free. So I say like with live concerts, since it's a show, it's a performance, you're kind of expressing yourself that way. It's one aspect in writing the music. I kind of feel like it's another aspect because you never want to feel fully comfortable when writing. You never want to feel like what to do or where to go. So on one side, I think the performance aspect of it and being live, I think it's very important, at least for me, to have it on autopilot so I can be in the moment creatively. Yeah. But when I'm being creative, <laughs> it's almost the opposite. I need to constantly change it up. I need to be in a different space. I need to yeah. be writing with a different concept in mind. And that also sounds so terrifying to me. I've sung in bands my whole life. I sing in a fun cover band here in San Jose. Oh, we just do like fun dive bar stuff. But for me, rehearsal performance, I've always loved it. But oh my God, the thought of getting with people and being vulnerable enough to like say some random phrase that just kind of falls out of your mouth, that sounds terrifying to me. Have you ever been afraid to just be like, this is the lyric that's on my mind or this is the melody do you have that editor in your mind that's like, the hell does that mean? Where'd that come from? Or are you like, whatever? That's interesting because a lot of times when I'm writing, I start with the music and I just sing gibberish. Mm-hmm. And, and the gibberish that'll come into my head a lot of times has some sort of meaning that I wasn't really aware of. Wow. Or I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what this is about, but I'm going to run with this. So sometimes it does feel like that, like it's a surprise. But in general, I think you want to feel that emotional kind of uh, impact because if it hits you that hard, chances are it's going to hit other people that hard. Yeah. Also, I think it's fascinating that you allow yourself to kind of roll out gibberish over the melody because then it frees you up from having to make sense. And sometimes the subconscious mind is like, we're better at this than you. We're going to come up with something great inside the gibberish. That's actually a really freeing strategy. I love that. But I also read that you guys have some very interesting pregame rituals that involves (laughs) slapping each other. Can you talk about that? (laughs) Rhythmic slapping. Maybe that'll be the name of your next band, AJ. Yeah, rhythmic slapping. Yeah. I think part of it is we like to get each other excited before we go out on stage. And there is this kind of method of slapping each other's arms and backs. And, you know, you slap your own body up and down and, you know, say nonsense. And we do that like clockwork with every show. We also huddle around and we do like a big kind of like go team kind of vibe. Amazing. The the local thing. These are things that are our traditions and they just, they fall in that category of, you know, it's a routine to free you from the constraints of having to think about a routine. Right. So yeah, those pre-show warmups. Also, you know, I always do cereal jingles backstage, like Kaoki Crisp and they're great because they're actually great for your voice. And it's like, you know, yeah, those things, I mean, it's like they make it fun and everyone participates and then we all get kind of psyched up together. But You probably read about us like sacrificing goats and stuff. We don't do that anymore. Actually, I was just going to ask you, do you do like full on vocal warmups or do you just do the highs and lows and serial chants? Yeah, well, I do a lot of breathing exercises, breathing in for a certain amount of time, holding it, breathing out. 
I do my serial jingles mm-hmm. and that's kind of as a warm up and down the voice and the scales. And then I'll do some other random things. I picked up the band I had in college before this, the bassist was an opera singer and he taught me some stuff and Oh so my I God. Do some of that. But he was a really good singer. Yeah. And, opera and singers, by. they're like the extreme athletes of singing, I think. Right? Yeah. That's really cool. I kind of secretly wish I could know what those are, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> Only the singers in my audience will be like, tell me more. Everybody else is like, keep going, Bronwyn. So let's talk about your new venture, though. So the main question I have for you, and I think I already know the answer. Why did you decide to start a company and get into sort of the entrepreneurial side of creativity? Because you were doing great with music. What opened that part of your mind? Did you always know you wanted to start a business or where did that come from? No, I, I was never really wanted to start a business. I just really needed these glasses. That's, <laughs> that's really what it was. Like I was sick of having one color and then, you know, I'd be super lucky and I'd find like a pair of like sepia colored clip-ons for my glasses. And then, you know, you lose those and you're out of luck. I would have happily bought this from somebody else. And why were you drawn to like sepia or yellow? It never even occurred to me to want, although I was a college student in the nineties when the blue lenses were huge. So I actually do remember wanting blue lenses, but what made you even think that color was important in eyewear? So I started wearing clip-ons, which it's like they clip onto your glasses frame because I was sick of carrying glasses and prescription sunglasses around. So I started getting the clip-ons and once I was in the clip-ons, various vintage eyewear shops, I'd find different colors that would fit my frames. And then I had black and I had this kind of brown sepia and I wanted more. And so the moment where I realized that this is just ridiculous, I took my glasses, they looked just like this. They were kind of the Andy Warhol round style. I took them to an optometrist, three pairs. I bought three pairs and one I put blue, one I put rose and one I left clear. And then I walked out with that bill and I was like, this is insane. Like all I want is (laughs) to be able to change, you know, given on the moment. Like, I love rose. I don't necessarily always want to be wearing rose. I love blue. I don't always want to be in blue. Yeah. And so like, I was like, okay, well, why not (laughs) just be able to change them out? Like you can wear glasses, you can put in your color lenses. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And actually, as I was getting into digging into this a little bit, I was fascinated to learn that there's actually some interesting research around color. Can you talk a little bit about the psychology of color? Yeah. So there's been a lot of studies about the effects of different colored lenses. And you'll see like in gas stations, yellow lenses, pretty common because they help your eyes focus. They're like coffee for your eyeballs. They're great for driving on, uh, you know, certain conditions that aren't ideal. They give you energy. They kind of keep you up. They're fantastic for that. Speaking of gas stations, I think the best way to think about it. So we only have six colors right now, mm-hmm. but the best way to think about it is when you're on a road trip. Cause I was just driving from California to Texas and you start the day, the sun changes, what you need changes. So like our blue lenses are good for kind of an activating effect. The same reason you don't want blue light at the end of the day is why you want blue light in the beginning of the day. Got it it. kind of activates your biological clock and your rhythm. And then as the sun gets brighter, you switch to green or black. And then you switch maybe afternoon, you want some more vibes. So you throw in the brown lenses and then, you know, maybe yellow starts raining. You need to like focus on the road more and then wind the day down with some rose, which I'm pretty convinced just 
make you happy. These rose lenses are my go-to. I wear these inside, outside as much as I can because they're That's just That's amazing. Good it vibe. makes sense that you're switching because I did read that there's research that suggests that the effects you get from the color lenses, they decrease over time. So it's actually more effective to change throughout the day because then you get that total boost each time, which I think is so, well, so you, cool. If you, if you think about it, like your needs change throughout the day and when yeah. you're going through changes throughout the day, like yeah. if you need to be focusing in a moment, if you need to relax for a moment, you need a kind of a, a change of pace. You walk to another room, you take a break. I mean, it's the same thing with your vision and these lenses can kind of help you in whatever kind of mood changes you're looking for. Yeah. Especially in the last 18 months where like literally this, what you're seeing in the background is what was my, I mean, this is where I worked every day for 18 months. I was used to being on airplanes and traveling and just any physical thing you can do to just change up the moment is so helpful. Absolutely. But on the business side of things, how did you go about this? I mean, if you'd never started business before, were you like, I'm going to go get venture funding or I'm going to use my own money. I'm going to get my friends to invest. Like, how did you get it all going. And what did you learn in that very early stage about making a creative idea into a real thing? I wanted to start out with having as much of it kind of in my hands as possible so mm -hmm. I could learn from the experience. Yeah. But starting out, I talked to a good friend of mine back in Minneapolis who's works at 3M and is a pretty amazing inventor in his own regard. Wow. And he kind of gave me some great coaching and they introduced me to one of his friends who's like a top 3D printing modeler guy. And we started shooting stuff back and forth. And then I had a 3D printer right down the street at the local library. So I print out prototypes, you know, during the pandemic, they knew me as that weird glasses guy. You know, just kind of kept fine tuning it. A lot of the stuff I'd already kind of known from being in the band, like making websites, making yeah. graphics, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But no, there's a whole lot of learning that went into it and a whole lot of learning that continues to go into it. I'm sure. I mean, are you at the launch stage or like, where are you in your journey right now? I would say it's at the launch stage. We yeah. just launched a couple months ago. We're kind of slowly kind of getting the word out there. It's all very bootstrapped, very mom and pop. Yeah. I mean, you know, just getting the concept out there more than anything, because this is something I feel like I had wanted for a long time and didn't yeah. exist. So yeah. hopefully there's some other crazy people like me out there. Oh, there for sure will be. I'm one of those crazy people and my product is making its way to me as we speak. But did you have, and I guess there's interesting parallels between creativity and being a musician and being an entrepreneur in that I think what stops a lot of would-be musicians and songwriters and performers of all stripes is that voice of the editor saying, who do you think you are? Oh, who do you think you are? Time. Did you have that imposter syndrome where you like, God, I, I mean... I think I can do this, but I'm really, I'm a musician. Like what business do I have being an entrepreneur? Did you ever have to deal with that negative self-talk? I feel like I've always had that negative self-taught. I feel like it's like this constant sense of dread that yeah. it's like a mix of, I feel like I can do anything and the world is my oyster. And then I can't do anything. Like I can't it's even funny. like go make some toast. You know, it's just this constant kind of back and forth. And yes. it's just something I continually try to work on. But you don't let it stop you. It's like, okay, well, this is the static in the machine and I just have to yeah. make the toast and then go back to making the glasses. Exactly. It's never been able to stop me. I should say that. It's always there, but you just kind of have to remember that you really can do anything. You just have to remind yourself of that when something seems particularly daunting and breathe. 
and breathe. I know that's like one of the cornerstones of my whole practice. And whenever I work with people on breath, I feel like they look at me like, I want my money back. It can't be that easy. And I'm like, sometimes it is though. Sometimes it really just is breathing through it. Absolutely. I love that. So when you think about the lessons learned, mistakes made, growth that you've had as a musician and as an artist, what are the parallels between putting this new baby, congrats on your new baby business. What are the parallels between like putting out a new album or putting out a physical product in the form of glasses? Are there any interesting echoes or parallels there? I'm so curious. I would say there are in terms of once you have the music ready and you have to release it out to the world, you have to think of at least, I I don't know, I guess in my experience, this has been the case, trying to come up with different ways to market it because A, it's fun and B, there's a million bands out there and everyone's making music. And I think it's very similar with having this kind of interchangeable eyewear, thinking of different ways to kind of get it out there. There, There's definitely some parallels there. So do you have like some trusted people that you're like, okay, everybody come over, we're microdosing and we're coming up with strategy for marketing. Like, do you have a system or a, a set of like inner circle people that you get weird with and go into idea state with? Cause you know, some of the concepts that you launched with albums, there was some far out stuff that I just thought was so incredible. Like the video, what was it? The video piano video that you guys came oh, up with? Video piano. Yeah, that was fun. What was, um, describe that. Cause I geeked the, out on it, but. For yeah, that was a physical piano that controlled different cameras that were on stage and different video clips. And it was like an analog machine. So when you play like two keys together, you get this kind of weird distortion and stuff like that. That was a fun piece of equipment. What's your process for coming up with crazy launch ideas? Because I can tell, yeah. like, I think maybe you're not even aware that there is this like machine in your mind that just keeps spitting out cool shit all the time. And so I'm curious if there's like a system that you get the same core people together. I'm just curious how you come up with these launch concepts. Oh yeah. I mean, with the band, I have people to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Cause coming up with crazy ideas is my favorite thing in the world. Like, <laughs> it's uh, just if I could just thing. do that all day, I would be a happy man. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's a tour concept or album packaging idea, I love trying to make it fun and different. And then having a group of guys I've known for over a decade that are like, okay, that's pretty crazy. I don't think that's possible. It's good. And then on the AVU side, I have some friends that are taking more of the marketing burden. So that you can enjoy the parts you like and offload the stuff you don't want to do. Yeah. Like I realize that it's a new world that I'm not necessarily so well versed on. So Mm -hmm. I want to learn from those that kind of do it for a living and it's not music and that's a different kind of thing. So definitely yeah. having some other heads to bounce ideas off of there. Is I love thing. that. That's very wise. Well, I think my last question for you, and I so appreciate you giving the time. People listen to my podcast because they're working on themselves. They want to become better communicators. They want to be more creative. They want to be more empathetic. They want to do better and realize their potential. So what's your favorite piece of advice that you give people who are struggling to realize their potential, that are struggling to tamp down the inner editor? What's your go-to piece of advice? Someone that's struggling to realize their potential. One thing to keep in mind, Genghis Khan, who conquered more of the world than anyone else in history, didn't start until he was in his 30s. He spent most of his life just trying to unify the Mongolian Empire. There is no set clock 
when inspiration will strike. And in my experience, following the trends doesn't necessarily lead to the result you want. Just go with what you feel and what you gravitate towards and that you feel passionate about. And I think hopefully other people resonate with that as well. I love that. God, I wasn't expecting Genghis Khan in that answer. I love it. That's really reassuring actually to hear. I mean, you know, there's so many stories like that. It doesn't matter what your field is. I think it's important to remember that anything is possible. I agree. I mean, Jesus didn't even get started until he was in his 30s. So there's something magical about the 30s, perhaps. Well, I just want to thank you so, so, so much for being here with me. My pleasure. We will get everybody the link to AVU so they can enjoy. I think it's exciting to see someone so creatively fertile and just putting good stuff out into the world. So thank you, AJ, and Ah, good luck with everything. I appreciate that. And let me know how you like them. I will. I will. You take care. Hey, if you're still with me and you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest episodes delivered hot off the press. And feel free to share this with someone who could use a little inspiration. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am listening to or reading or digging right now. Also find me on my new YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash this is Bronwyn, B-R-O-N-W-Y-N where I drop new content every Thursday covering strategies for getting more confident during moments of conflict. And speaking of conflict, if you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing difficult conversations, check out my new online course called the No Enemy Client Conversation. And that is noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. That's noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. As always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF, where I offer a lot of behind the scenes insights into how I make all this content and run my business for those coaches and solopreneurs who need a little inspo. And lastly, if your company or organization needs a high voltage keynote speaker, who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually or in real life, I'm your gal. Shoot me a note, let's make some magic happen. That's Bronwyn at BronwynCommunications.com. Take care and shine on.